Welcome to episode 228 of the TruthQuest podcast, the truth about the Twitter files, the first tranche. Before we get started, I want to ask you to do me a favor and share the show. If you're on social media and see discussions going on about the Twitter files, fascism, abortion, inflation, or the deadly and toxic COVID vaccine, please share the TruthQuest podcast with your friend. Tell them to browse the episode titles and dive into whatever topics pique their interest. Episodes are available on a host of platforms, including iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon Music, Podbean, BitChute, Rumble, and Instagram, where I post a short highlight of each show at instagram.com forward slash truthquestpodcast. And I also recently jumped on Telegram, if you want to join me over there. Whatever platform you may be listening to this on, please take a moment and give it a five-star rating, hit the like button, leave a positive review, or better yet, subscribe to the podcast. Another way you can help grow the show is to throw a small donation my way at the TruthQuest podcast patronage page. All donations will be used to drive awareness of the podcast through online advertising. See this episode's show notes page at truthquest.podbean.com for details. And finally, please join the conversation on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash truthquestpodcast. This is the story of a massive scandal that many of you are unaware of. This is the story of First Amendment violations unlike anything seen in American history. Dictators throughout history could only dream of having such censorship capabilities. This is a story that, if we had a media that functioned as the fourth estate of government, keeping the other three in line rather than acting as a propaganda whore would never need to be told because this shit would never have happened under the watchful eye of a media that actually reported the news and exposed corruption rather than shilling for one particular political party and pumping out propaganda at a rate that would make the Politburo blush. This should be a massive scandal, and likely it would have been had it occurred under a Trump administration. Definitely, Congress would have been gearing up for impeachment 3.0 if Trump-allied officials had engaged in such egregious behavior. But since these U.S. government employees were by and large acting to suppress pro-Trump sentiment, all we get is crickets. This is a story that confirms the widespread suspicion that the federal government has behaved inappropriately in its relationship to social media companies. In this episode, I am covering Twitter Files Part 1 through 8. Regardless of what else comes out after I publish this episode, the story has been written. The evidence has been seen, and it cannot be unseen. We are all on notice that progressives in the federal government will stop at nothing to censor dissent and silence the opposition. Part one of the Twitter files is titled, How and Why Twitter Blocked the Hunter Biden Laptop Story. In this first Twitter file data dump, we see how Twitter executives violated their own policies to prevent the spread of accurate information about Hunter Biden's laptop, which I covered in detail in episode 184. In a nutshell, Hunter spent decades peddling his father's influence. He earned tens of millions of dollars in contracts with foreign businesses, including ones linked to China's government, for which Hunter offered no real work, value, or experience. His infamous laptop contains years' worth of emails, text messages, voicemails, and videos, some of which Hunter is naked, getting high, and having sex with prostitutes. Twitter took extraordinary steps to suppress the story of the laptop and its contents, removing links and posting warnings that it may be unsafe. They even blocked its transmission via direct message, a step rarely taken except for extreme cases like child pornography. 
They even locked White House spokesman Kaylee McEnany's account for tweeting about the story. They made up the reason that Hunter's laptop story was removed for violation of the company's, quote, hacked materials policy. To which the former vice president of global communications, Brandon Borman, asked in one of the Twitter files, quote, can we truthfully claim that this is part of our policy, end quote? I'm going to jump to Twitter files part seven now because it also covers Hunter Biden's laptop. In part seven, the focus is on the organized effort by representatives of the intelligence community aimed at senior executives at news and social media companies to discredit linked information about Hunter Biden before and after it was published. The key facts about the laptop are, number one, the FBI had Hunter Biden's laptop in its possession in December of 2019. That's before Joe Biden was the Democrat nominee, and they knew it didn't come from hacking. Number two, the FBI spent 2020 performing what amounted to a PSYOP against social media executives in the weeks leading up to the release of the news about the laptop. They explained to Twitter and its executives that this hacked material from Hunter's laptop would occur in October 2020. This was weeks beforehand. How did they know the story was going to come out? Because the FBI was spying on Rudy Giuliani. Reading his emails in real time allowed them to know when he gave the copy of the hard drive to the New York Post. The FBI performed the same PSYOP on Facebook as Mark Zuckerberg described on Joe Rogan's podcast several months ago. Quote, the FBI basically came to us and was like, hey, you should be on high alert. We thought there was a lot of Russian propaganda in 2016 election. There's about to be some kind of dump similar to that, end quote. Now, keep in mind, up until this point, Twitter had always pushed back on requests about foreign influences on the platform. But the FBI and the intelligence community was very persistent, even going to the extent of arranging for temporary top-secret security clearances for Twitter executives so the FBI could share information about threats to the upcoming elections, as the FBI's Elvis Chan did in July 2020. On August 11, 2020, the FBI's Special Agent Chan shared information with Twitter's Yoel Roth that, at that time, he was Twitter's trust and safety chief. The information was related to the Russia hacking organization called APT28. This and other communications were done through the FBI's secure one-way communication channel called Teleporter, in which, in which many communications were timed to vanish. So just understand, the FBI had a communication channel specifically with Twitter. No problem there, right? In addition to granting Twitter people top-secret security clearance, the company was infested with former intelligence community hacks, including James Baker, the former general counsel of the FBI for four years from 2014 to 2018, and one of the most powerful men in the U.S. intelligence community. He was also a key participant in pushing the, Ru the 2016 Russia hoax against former President Donald Trump. They also hired Don Burton, the former deputy chief of staff to FBI head James Comey, who initiated the investigation on Trump. She joined Twitter in 2019 as Director of Strategy. As of 2020, there were so many former FBI employees known as VIEW alumni, I guess that's for Bureau alumni. There were so many of them working at Twitter that they had created their own private Slack channel and a crypt sheet to onboard new FBI arrivals. Back to the Hunter Biden laptop suppression. Twitter's execs had bought into the wild hack-and-dump theory, 
put forth by the FBI. Yoel Roth wrote, quote, The suggestions from experts, which rings true, is that a hack that happened separately, and they loaded the hack materials on the laptop that magically appeared at the repair shop in Delaware, end quote. How many of you remember the letter famously signed by 51 former intelligence officers and hacks stating that Hunter's laptop had all the hallmarks of Russia hacking? Joe Biden even cited the letter in one of his debates with Trump. Well, that was all bullshit. It was a lie. This post about Hunter Biden's laptop situation shows that Roth not only met weekly with the FBI and the Department of Homeland Security, but with the Office of the Director of National Intelligence. In the end, the FBI's influence campaign aimed at executives at news media, Twitter, and other social media companies worked. They censored and discredited the Hunter Biden laptop story. By December 2020, Baker and his colleagues even sent a note thanking the FBI for its work. Oh, and one last bit of information on this from Part 7 of the Twitter files is the fact that the FBI paid Twitter millions of dollars for its staff's time in helping implement the censorship. Baker wrote in early 2021, quote, I am happy to report that we have collected $3.4 million since October 2019, end quote. Isn't it wonderful knowing that tax dollars were spent violating our First Amendment rights? Part two of the Twitter files is titled, Twitter's Secret Blacklist. It demonstrates how teams of Twitter employees built blacklists, prevented disfavored tweets from trending, and actively limited the visibility of entire accounts, or even blocked select users' posts from ever appearing in the trending page, and from inclusion in hashtag searches. All of this was done in secret without informing users. One Twitter employee's communication showed the employee saying, quote, We control visibility quite a bit, and we control the amplification of our content quite a bit, and normal people do not know how much we do. Top podcaster and Fox News personality Dan Bongino was put on a search blacklist, meaning you could not search his name and find him on the platform. Turning Point's Charlie Kirk's account was set to Do Not Amplify. Libs of TikTok was a favorite target of these folks. This account was put on the Trends Blacklist and was designated as, quote, Do Not Take Action on User Without Consent of SIPPEPS, which stands for Site Integrity Policy Escalation Support. Good grief. Sounds very important, though, doesn't it? It was a secret group of Twitter higher-ups that handled the most restrictive and high-profile Twitter accounts, which of course libs of TikTok was one. At one point, another Twitter user doxed the account owner of libs of TikTok by posting a picture of her address. Twitter refused to pull it from the site. Their support told the owner, quote, We reviewed the reported content and didn't find it to be in violation of Twitter rules. In 2018, Twitter's Vijay Gade, the head of legal policy and trust, and Kayvon Bekapoor, the head of product. What the hell's the product at Twitter? Anyways, they wrote, quote, We do not shadow ban, and we certainly don't shadow ban based on political viewpoints or ideology, end quote. Former Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey denied the same while testifying before a congressional committee. He committed perjury by lying to Congress. Will there ever be consequences for him? Not likely in our dual justice system. In part three of the Twitter files, titled The Removal of Donald Trump, October 20 through January 6th, 
Documents showed how senior executives at Twitter censored tweets by Trump in the run-up to the November 2020 election while regularly engaging with representatives of the U.S. government law enforcement agencies. Documents reveal that Twitter executives removed Trump in part because of what one executive called the, quote, context surrounding actions by Trump and his supporters over the course of the election and, frankly, the last four years, end quote. As the election approached, senior executives, under pressure from some federal agencies with whom they were meeting more and more often, increasingly struggled with rules and began to speak of vios, violations, as a pretext to do what they likely would have done anyway. Part four of the Twitter files is titled The Removal of Donald Trump, January 7th. It details the chaos inside Twitter on that day. As the pressure mounts from various parties, Twitter executives built the case for the permanent ban of Trump. On that day, senior Twitter executives began creating justifications to ban Trump, even seeking to change policy for Trump alone, rules that didn't apply to anyone else. And through it all, they expressed no concern for the implications of a ban on free speech or on democracy, while claiming Trump was a threat to democracy. You just can't make this shit up. For years, Twitter had resisted calls to ban Trump, once in 2018, the company responded, quote, blocking a world leader from Twitter would hide important info and hamper necessary discussion around their words and actions, end quote. But after the events on January 6th, the internal and external pressure on Twitter's Jack Dorsey grew enormous. Even former First Lady, the exalted one, Michelle Obama, called for Trump's permanent ban. Just like her husband, she disdains the Constitution as well. Plus, she was tired of Trump speaking the truth about her husband's record as president. On January 8th, Twitter announced a permanent ban on Trump due to the, quote, risk of further incitement of violence, end quote. They said the ban was based, quote, specifically on how Trump's tweets are being received and interpreted, end quote. Which is weird because back in 2019, Twitter said it did not, quote, attempt to determine all potential interpretations of the content or of its intent, end quote. Yeah, because interpreting how words will be received is impossible. This might be a good place to explain to you that Twitter staff and senior execs were overwhelmingly progressives or Democrats or libs, whatever you want to call them. Political donations of Twitter staff went 96, 98, and 99% to Democrats in 2018, 20, and 2022. That fact alone explains why this shit was going on in Twitter, because the only goal progressives have is winning, squashing dissent, and crushing their ideological opponents. Their politics is their god. Part 5 of the Twitter files is also titled The Removal of Trump from Twitter. In it, the reporter, Barry Weiss, reveals the secret internal communications from January 8th, 2021. Despite what we'd learned up to this point, there was some dissent inside Twitter over the treatment of Trump. Here's an internal chat session presented in part five of the Twitter files. It reads, maybe because I'm from China, I deeply understand how censoring can destroy the public conversation. The response was, I understand this fear, but I also think it's important to understand that censorship by a government is very different than censorship of the government. The First Amendment of the United States and similar legislation in other countries with similar concepts exists specifically to prevent the government from silencing the people. It goes on. I respect that, but realistically, we impose far stricter rules on effectively everyone else on this platform. It ends with this. We started labeling, restricting his tweets when they became a threat to democracy. There it is. There's that term. 
and seemed like that was our red line. Yesterday, he clearly attempted the, to overthrow our democratic system of government and showed no signs of remorse. If this is not a clear reason to suspend him, again, as an unhinged ruler attempting to subvert the most powerful democracy in the world, I'm not sure what should be. They're so worried about democracy, and maybe if he had apologized and showed us signs of remorse, maybe they wouldn't abandon him. Yeah, I doubt it. Of course, dissension was a minority opinion inside a company full of progressive activists. Many Twitter employees were upset that Trump didn't get banned earlier. After January 6th, Twitter employees organized to demand their employer ban Trump. In the early afternoon of January 8th, the Washington Post published an open letter signed by over 300 Twitter employees to CEO Jack Dorsey demanding Trump's ban. But the Twitter staff assigned to evaluate tweets quickly concluded that Trump had not violated Twitter policies. To understand Twitter's decision to ban Trump, we must consider how they deal with other heads of state and political leaders, including those of Iran, Nigeria, and Ethiopia. In June 2018, Iran's Ayatollah Khomeini tweeted, quote, Israel is a malignant cancerous tumor in the Western Asian region that has to be removed and eradicated. It is possible and it will happen. Twitter neither deleted that tweet nor banned the Ayatollah. In October 2020, the former Malaysian prime minister said it was, quote, a right for Muslims to kill millions of French people. Twitter deleted his tweet because he glorified violence, but he remains on the platform. The president of Nigeria incited violence against groups opposing him, quote, those of us in the fields for 30 months who went through the war will treat them in the language they understand, end quote. Twitter deleted the tweet, but didn't ban the dude. In October 2021, Twitter allowed the Ethiopian prime minister to call on citizens to take up arms against the Tigray region. Twitter allowed the tweet to remain up and did not ban the prime minister. But Twitter executives did ban Trump, even though key staffers said that Trump had not incited violence, not even in a, quote, coded way. I know what many of you are thinking. The level of hypocrisy is astonishing. No one with any power at Twitter had enough balls to call it for what it was. But the thing is, you missed the point. It's not hypocrisy. It's hierarchy. Check out episode 220 if you want to deep dive into that topic. Dinesh D'Souza summed up part five of the Twitter files like this. Basically, Trump is proven right that an unelected cabal rigged the rules of the game in order to fix the outcome of the 2020 election and then shut down his ability to speak out about it. The Twitter files alone are sufficient to demonstrate those two chilling points. In Twitter files number six, titled Twitter, the FBI subsidiary, we saw the FBI relentlessly seek to exercise influence over the social media platform, including over its content, its users, and its data. Twitter's contact with the FBI was constant and pervasive, as it would be for a subsidiary. Between January 2020 and November 2022, there were over 150 emails between the FBI and former Twitter trust and safety chief Yule Roth. Those emails regularly featured demands from the U.S. government officials for a private social media company to censor comments and ban commenters they did not like. There were a surprisingly high number of requests by the FBI for Twitter to take action on election misinformation, even involving joke and satire tweets from low-follower accounts, proving that these totalitarians like others before them cannot stand to be made fun of. 
the FBI social media focused task force known as Foreign Influence Task Force, FTIF, created in the wake of the 2016 election, swelled to 80 agents. It also included other U.S. intelligence agencies exclusively forbidden from domestic activities like the CIA. But in a world run by Democrats, the dual justice system will protect these lawbreakers from punishment. Despite its official remit being foreign influence, the FITF and the San Francisco FBI office became conduits for mountains of domestic moderation requests from state governments, even local police, and nonprofits like Common Cause, the NAACP, Defending Digital Democracy, the National Conference on Citizenship, and the AARP. What the hell is that about? The FBI corresponded regularly with Twitter to identify alleged foreign influence and election tampering of all kinds. It wasn't just Twitter that the government was in constant contact with, but virtually every major tech firm. This included Facebook, Microsoft, Verizon, Reddit, Yahoo, Twitch, Cloudflare, LinkedIn, and even Pinterest. And that's not the exhaustive list. But this is, of course, the Twitter file, so we don't have visibility into the internal communications of the other companies yet. In addition to the reach into Twitter by federal intelligence and law enforcement, the DHS, Department of Homeland Security, joined the party as well. It partnered with security contractors and think tanks to pressure Twitter to moderate content. Reporter Matt Taibbi said, The files show the FBI acting as doorman to a vast program of social media surveillance and censorship encompassing agencies across the federal government, from the State Department to the Pentagon to the CIA. And as we've seen, the FBI was telling Twitter what to censor, right down to the actual Twitter handle. Twitter executives noticed the FBI appeared to be assigning personnel to look for Twitter violations, which might explain why the rate of real crime has been exploding in recent years. The FBI has other priorities, like crushing free speech of Americans. As the election approached in 2020, the FITF and the FBI overwhelmed Twitter with requests, putting executives under constant pressure to validate theories of foreign influence. They sent lists of hundreds of problem accounts. Email after email came from the San Francisco office heading into the election, often adorned with an Excel attachment. Special Agent Chan then passed the list on to Twitter, who then replied with its list of actions taken. There were so many government requests, Twitter employees had to create a system for prioritizing or triaging them. That is a clear and direct violation of the First Amendment. It seemed to strike no one inside the organization as strange that the Foreign Influence Task Force was forwarding thousands of mostly domestic reports. Twitter's legal team met weekly with the DHS, DOJ, FBI, and the Office of the Director of National Intelligence. Again, another clear and direct violation of the First Amendment. None of this behavior is the least bit surprising to anyone who pays attention to real media or even listens to this podcast. Case in point, episode 222. That's just six episodes ago. It's titled The Truth About the Precision of the First Amendment, and it highlighted much of this mess prior to the Twitter files being published. And finally, part eight of the Twitter files is titled, How Twitter Quietly Aided the Pentagon's Covert Online PSYOP Campaign. Despite promises to shut down covert state-run propaganda networks, Twitter documents show that the social media giant directly assisted the U.S. military's influence operations. 
Twitter has claimed for years that they make concerted efforts to detect and thwart government-backed platform manipulation. Twitter even testified to Congress about its pledge to rapidly identify and shut down all state-backed covert inf information operations and deceptive propaganda. But behind the scenes, Twitter gave approval and special protection to the U.S. military's online psychological influence program. Despite knowledge that the Pentagon propaganda accounts used covert identities, Twitter did not suspend many for around two years or more. Some remain active today. In 2017, a U.S. Central Command Department of Defense CENTCOM official sent Twitter a list of 52 Arab language accounts that, quote, is used to amplify certain messages, end quote. The official asked for priority service for six accounts, verification for one, and whitelist abilities for the others. The CENTCOM accounts on the list tweeted frequently about U.S. military priorities in the Middle East, including promoting anti-Iran messages and promotion of the Saudi Arabia-U.S.-backed war in Yemen. Many emails from throughout 2020 showed that high-level Twitter executives were well aware of the DOD's vast network of fake accounts and covert propaganda, but did not suspend the accounts. The U.S. propaganda network relentlessly pushed narratives against Russia, China, and other foreign countries. They accused Iran of threatening Iraq's water security and flooding the country with crystal meth and of harvesting the organs of Afghan refugees. I remember that one. Bottom line, Twitter actively assisted CENTCOM's covert online activity designed to deceive and manipulate the discourse, which is and was a violation of their own policies and promises and testimony. That is in stark contrast with how Twitter has boasted about rapidly identifying and taking down covert accounts tied to state-backed influence operations, including Thailand, Russia, Venezuela, and others since 2016. The First Amendment reads as follows, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of people to peacefully assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. Justice Clarence Thomas wrote in Biden v. Knight First Amendment Institute at Columbia University, quote, A private entity is not ordinarily constrained by the First Amendment. It is if the government coerces or induces it to take action the government itself would not be permitted to do, such as censor expression of a lawful viewpoint. That's pretty damn clear, wouldn't you say? It has been evident for many years that federal agencies such as the FBI view the First Amendment of our Constitution as an annoyance and an impediment, but the Twitter files offer prima facie proof. The only question left to answer is, what is the punishment for violating the First Amendment, and who's going to suffer the consequences? Ron Paul summed up this whole ridiculous situation like this, quote, so now we have proof that the FBI, along with U.S. intelligence agencies and the Department of Homeland Security, have been acting through private social media companies to manipulate what Americans are allowed to say when they communicate with each other. Is there anything more un-American than that? Personally, I find it sickening. End quote. One thing is clear. Elon Musk purchased the world's most expensive crime scene. And that's the truth about the Twitter files the first tranche. Please subscribe to the podcast on your favorite platform.